This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. So my overall goal with wholesaling is to turn it into a half-day job for me. So I only, only work on it half a day, and then I can go do my realer thing. I can go look at Airbnbs, multifamily, whatever the rest of the day. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? This is Jonathan Farber, host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. This show is all about achieving financial freedom as fast as possible so you can do whatever makes you happy in life. For me, that vehicle was real estate, and it's how I achieved financial freedom at 27. If you want to know how I got started, my journey is presented in a YouTube video posted in the show notes, and I post daily in our private Facebook group about my favorite topics and day-to-day -day strategies. I appreciate you guys being here, and let's get started. Oh, by the way, reach out if you ever need help. I try to keep my calendar open to talk to anyone that needs it or has any quick questions. See you guys. Talk to you later. What's going on, guys? Today we have an awesome episode with someone that I would consider to be a very close friend. You may have seen his name in the Facebook community or cash flow community if you're in that, but his name is Kevin Hart. And it is not the comedian Kevin Hart. I'm sure he's been hearing that his entire adult life, but it's a Kevin Hart who is one of my favorite real estate investors and someone who has taken more action in the last year than pretty much or probably anyone I know. He goes through a story on the show of starting his flipping and wholesaling business earlier this year. On his third try, he had tried twice already and had quit. And then this was his third time starting with wholesaling and flipping and being a full-time real estate investor. And he goes into why this time he may have been effective or successful or why it stuck. But in his first quarter this year, he made about $9,800 or $9,700. And this past quarter, finishing Q4 of 2021, I think that's what year we're in, he is going to do $75,000 in the quarter alone. This is net profit take home after all expenses are paid between his wholesaling and his flipping business. So this episode is all things how to start and scale a profitable wholesale flipping and realtor business in just one year, which for some people that may sound like a lot of time. If you think about it, it's really not a lot of time to think you can remove yourself from your job and build this engine to make 30 to 50 or $70,000 a quarter to live whatever lifestyle you want to live. And he's just getting started. So it's a really cool episode. And I'm just really happy for Kevin because he's even a better person than he is investor. So I'm excited for you guys to dig into it. My main learning from the show and what I think you guys might get out of it is <clears throat> the systems you might need or consider to start doing wholesaling and when you might want to start thinking about expanding your systems or adding more people. We talk about when you might want to hire your first VA or when you might want to hire uh, your first, let's say, acquisitions person or your first, you want to pay for your first piece of software as opposed to maybe starting at the beginning and doing it yourself. Kevin and I agree on this concept that it is best to start doing the thing yourself before you hand it off to someone else. So you understand how it works and you can monitor their progress and coach them. That's something that I don't think people think about a lot when they're just trying to outsource everything from the beginning. So that was the main learning. And today's tangible tip, also something that Kevin brought up is the concept of basically assuring your spouse or getting your spouse on board and explaining to them how they can support you and also critique you in a way that can be productive and grow the business. You know, like what he talked about, and I think it's a really good tactical tip <clears throat> is giving a timeline and a budget for this business and having pretty serious or just real conversations talking about 
how much time it's going to take, how much money it's going to cost, and what the potential returns and profits are going to be so that both sides can be on the same page. And I think in doing that, people will have more support from their other half and be a lot happier when things are going well, but then also maybe when things aren't going so well or it's the early stages. So that's today's tangible tip, a little bit of a different one, but one that I really think a lot of people get value out of. Without any more delay, further ado, whatever I usually say, today we have an awesome episode with Kevin Hart. Enjoy. Kevin, what is going on, man? Welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Hey, appreciate you having me on, man. I've been a uh... Took me all year to make it to the podcast, but I'm here. Dude, if anyone deserves to be on the podcast, it's you. We'll get into your story and all that. But one, like what what you told me last week as far as your progression with where you were at to start this year and now the money you're making, uh, it's something that I think a lot of people are gonna get value in and I think you should be pretty proud of. But um before we get into that man, one we'll we'll do a little kickoff. You tell us who you are and all that. But what were you doing this morning? You told me it's a kick a door in or something. Could you just tell us what yeah. was going on with that and do you just so do that for fun? That's the that's the dirty side of wholesaling that people don't tell you. So I got a pre-foreclosure house. Um already had it locked in contract. We're supposed to close this afternoon and my buyer goes to do his final walkthrough cuz he just wants to make sure it's not trashed. And realized the bank came by and locked up all the doors. We have no keys. So I don't want to miss out on my assignment fee. Um, and we're trying to close by four o'clock today. So took a little screwdriver, busted up the deadbolt, kicked the door in, and we're good. Got the walkthrough done. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know where I'm at these days with content. Dude, that how did you not video that of you just busting down I, a door? I know. I, I literally slapped myself in the face and got my truck. I was like, man, I just lost out two great TikToks. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't know the legality of what I did. Um, so I was like, maybe I don't <laughs> want to put that out there. All right. Well, anyway. Luckily, good... I befriended the neighbor too. So like, I saw her out there and I was like, hey, I'm about to have to like bust this door. And she's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> cool. Don't call the cops on me. Well, we'll get into like, why she probably thinks that because the benefits of wholesaling and flipping for a neighborhood. And a lot of times it's the best thing that could happen for a neighborhood and improving a neighborhood. But um, I will make a note to come back to that. But Kevin, before we go too far into anything, for those that don't know, you mind just kicking off who you are, what you do um, and what you do today in real estate, kind of how you got into things uh, from a high level. Yeah, for sure. Um, my background was insurance sales. I was with State Farm for about five years. Got burnt out pretty quick. Always wanted to get in real estate. And I was one of those people that <clears throat> hung out on bigger pockets for years and years and never made a move. So I finally decided I want to start flipping houses. Uh, so early 2019, partnered up with a contractor, started flipping a few houses, realized that was paying me more than my insurance job. So I pretty much took the leap that a lot of people are scared to do probably a lot sooner than I should have. Um, but I'm probably one of those people that makes rash decisions when I want to make a change and just went ahead and I bought my first house in July of 19, dropped my insurance business October of 19 and went full-time in real estate. And then from there, just been flipping houses, uh, doing some wholesaling this year, got my real estate license and just trying to grow the business from there. So I had a partner who cut ties back in January, um, which is best for both of us. And, rebuilt the business from the ground up starting January of this year and now kind of have four four pieces of the business have my real estate agent side my wholesaling flipping side which I consider one piece just because it's the same marketing uh, my 
rental side, which is long-term and short-term. And then I'm starting to build up the multifamily side with a couple other partners and take down some bigger complexes. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. So this all kind of happened for you in like two years, right? Like from the time that you were working a job to then what are you doing today? If you wouldn't mind sharing your numbers, I think it's just telling. And like I said before, I think it's something you should be proud of considering where you started the year. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think the first time me and you ever got on a call might have been sometime in the first quarter of this year when I did, where's my board, 9,800 bucks in Q1, which is pretty bad considering I was self-employed. And, and, was and just with, what that it. means, for those who don't know, that's you're saying that was your profit for the quarter. Yeah, $9,800. That's it. And when I'm trying to cover all my bills, that definitely stressed my wife out quite a bit. But I remember having a conversation with you sitting in the, in the driveway of one of my flips that had gone bad. My part, partner had screwed up, took too long. <clears throat> and I was trying to talk with you kind of through what I wanted to do next steps. And we had talked about split with my partner. Um, but from that conversation uh, and on, I've gone from 9,800 bucks Q1 um, to Q4. By the end of this month, I'll have a $75,000 quarter. $75,000 quarter. And, and that's combining, what is that? That's wholesale flipping and the realtor? Is it just the wholesale and the flipping or just the wholesale? Or how do you break that out? It's probably about 80% wholesaling. There's one flip that closed in there. And then there's a couple of realtor commissions. Um, but the realtor commissions are only a couple thousand bucks each. So okay. The majority of wholesaling. All right. And before we, I want to dig into how that happened, what, what you did to make that happen. But for those that don't know, just a lot of new people listening to the show, um, can you just kind of define how you think about the difference between wholesaling and flipping and, you know, what those things are that make you money? Yeah. So flipping, you know, you're obviously buying a house, doing all the renovations yourself uh, and then reselling it. And that process can be anywhere from three months to a year, depending on how good of a job you're doing. Uh, and wholesaling is obviously you're, you're putting a house under contract, you're signing that contract to an end buyer, or you're doing a double close where, you know, you buy it for about five minutes and then immediately sell it to your end buyer. And wholesale deal can just be two weeks, four weeks, just a much faster process. Uh, and so when I started out, I love flipping because I'm very hands-on. I'm a handy guy. I love you know, working with tools and everything. I've got a whole wood shop in my house. But it just it got hard to find good contractors, uh, good partners, and really just hard to find good deals. So when I dove into wholesaling, I started that trying to find myself more flip houses. But then in reality, if I can wholesale a house and make 10,000 bucks in two and a half weeks compared to maybe making 25, 30, but it's going to be six to eight months, I'm going to take that 10 grand now all day every day and mm. then move on to the next project. Gotcha. So it's like the speed of doing a flip and the lack of cost because you're selling right. the right to buy a property to someone you know that, that isn't maybe an investor, but it's just a property that you found and you're kind of finding, you're getting paid a finder's fee so to speak, for yeah. wholesaling. Exactly. You're just acting as the middleman, which really the wholesalers a lot of times get a bad rap, but they're kind of, you know, they're fueling the flipping industry. The majority of flippers are not out there finding their own deals. They're relying on these wholesalers to send out emails every day with off-market deals. Before I got into the business, I didn't understand why wholesalers had a place in the industry because I was thinking, well, why don't flippers just do it? Can you talk to why you think flippers aren't doing it themselves and why there is a need for wholesalers? Yeah, for sure. So even some of the flippers I know around here that are 
you know, flipping 20, 30, 40 houses a year, they're, they're at their projects every day. They're making sure the contractor's getting done. They're running materials. They're analyzing deals. They don't want to go spend three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 to go market and find deals themselves. And plus on top of that cost, you know, I'm on, I'm running three, four phone appointments a day. I'm going to do a couple property walkthroughs a day, talking to sellers. I mean, wholesaling is a full-time job. It's, there's nothing passive real estate about it. It's a full-time job. So if you're flipping, and that's a full-time job also, which is what it is. You know, a lot of people think that's some passive career. Now it's a job. You can't really flip and wholesale and try to do all at once because it can just get really muddled. Uh, and what I found, it's just better to focus on one or the other. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's like, you know, I used to think it was the same skill set. It's I think it's very different skill set. Like flippers are more project managers and wholesalers are more marketers. That's how I think about it. You know, and it's very rare that you can find someone that has a system that can do both effectively. I mean, I don't, I don't really know many people that are really good at doing the full cycle themselves unless they have a big team and you know, they have people and they're in an office every day and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I still do flips. I enjoy it. But like you said, I don't have the systems in place to be managing four different projects and be running a wholesale business, running all these appointments. Um, mm-hmm. To me, just flipping, there's a lot more stress involved because you're worrying about people getting broken into, you're worried about materials getting stolen, contractors not showing up. And wholesaling, I'm just worried that they're going to show up on the closing day. <laughs> yeah. A lot less to worry about. Totally. I, I think... after learning about more of each, I really respect flippers and I, I like, I don't want to be a flipper Uh, and nothing against it because they can make returns if they're good at managing contractors and doing construction, but it's a really tough job. Like that's why more and more these days I'm telling people if they want to start doing this, you know, like I think wholesaling is a better route than flipping, you know, I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but I just think it's, it's a better skill to learn. And it's, it, to me, it seems like less headaches. Right. No, I agree with that. And especially coming from like, so I'm obviously married. I have a one-year-old. If you're looking for more consistent income and you left your W-2 like I did, you, wholesaling is definitely the route to go. My wife mm-hmm. really appreciates seeing consistent monthly income compared to when I was flipping. I was like, oh yeah, I'll get paid in six months. Or, oh great. You know what? We just had another $10,000 repair project that popped up and I'm going to go from making 20 grand in two months to um, I'm actually only making five off this deal. and We just waited six months for it. Yeah, that's so tough. If you're, if you're in a relationship and got kids. I really think wholesaling can, can make that life stressful, less stress as well with the family. So let's talk about this year for you, man. Like you, you went where a lot of people want to go and you're not done just knowing you and us being friends. Like you, you're going to be building this and growing this and it's really just the beginning, but like, how can you talk us through how you did it having a $9,000 quarter to start to now in this quarter making 75,000, you know, I think a lot of people would love to model something like that. And they just feel like, I don't, I can't do that. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that, like, you know, a lot of people out there have like this crazy origin story where they were just like in bankruptcy and having to build out <laughs> the ashes. I'm not that bad, but I will say January, February was a really rough time because I split from my partner. We had a couple deals go bad. Which is one reason we split we didn't have any deals in the pipeline. And me and my wife were having like a heart to heart. We're like, I either got to get my shit together and actually make this work, or I got to go back to work. Mm. So I actually did take a temporary job from like March through end of May. I remember kind of that. In the meantime, 
Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> I'm, I'm so unemployable. Like, I couldn't stand having a manager. I could barely survive three months doing that. But, <clears throat> but it, it kind of got me through that hole where we had lost some money right in the end of But I kind of took that motivation of I cannot work this new job more than three months. I don't want to go to some other job where I'm sitting. And that I've got to figure it out. Um, so actually, listen to your podcast, Bigger Pockets, a couple others. I just started networking with some of the more successful folks that came on the podcast in regards to wholesaling and tried to build my business out of that. And one of those came from, um, I'll give Jordan Isham a shout out. I think has been on your pod a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, found Amplify My Business, which is a Facebook ad platform, and really dove into that and committed marketing dollars, which is a hard thing to do when you're short on cash, uh, and just stayed consistent with that. So between that and pumping marketing dollars into launch control texting, that's how I was able to finally blow up and start getting consistent deals. Mm-hmm. Yep. So can you talk a little about what that means? Like having a marketing portion of wholesaling and, and like making an investment in that? Yeah, for sure. So you, you see, even on TikTok, there's a dude on TikTok, guys me crazy. Seems like a nice guy. I won't say his name, but he, he tells people you can do wholesaling with no money. And I'll give it to you. Like I've done a couple of deals with no money where I found it on Facebook marketplace or I drove by and just happened to call the house. But if you actually want to build a wholesaling business, you got to be able to commit three, $4,000 a month starting out. And maybe you can scale that back once you get good systems. But you've talked to the big dogs and wholesaling, they're spending 10 grand a month of marketing. Easy. And in the first couple months, you got to be comfortable blowing that money and not seeing any return, which is very hard because I failed wholesaling twice before this. This is my third go at it. So just so people out there, if you failed a couple months ago, give it our go, but stick with it. It'll work out. But you really got to commit those marketing dollars. Yeah. It's one of those things that you hear, actually you don't hear it that much because you hear all the stuff that it's like, it's free and it's quick. And you know what? Like while I do think Airbnb has a lot of opportunity to make stronger income and have it be pretty passive and actually be fairly quick, I don't look at wholesaling like that at all. Like you need to, to your point, I think anyone that's going to start doing wholesaling needs to have in their mind that they're not going to make any money potentially for four to six months. It could be less, but four to six months. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be incurring costs in that time. And you know, what's frustrating though, and you said you had like two other false starts with this is when I talk to people and they, they stop doing it when they're in like month three or four, cause they're like, I'm not making any money, but they're so close, you know, like you've put in a lot of work and effort already, but it does take time. It's like kind of that, that thing from 12 week year, a lot of books, it's lead and lag measures. There's a lead time to whatever you're working on that you're not going to see results for a long time. But I think that comes down to expectations, you know? So like what, was it this time that I guess made you feel like able to put money into marketing and like push through that maybe you didn't have the first couple of times? So, I mean, I had a extra level of motivation that I just, I just didn't want to go back to a W2 job or anything like that. So that definitely pushed me through. And, you know, I can thank my wife, Chelsea, for that. She's been huge support for me to do this, but also at the same time, she's my biggest critic, which I think is also super helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a bash on her at all like if you don't have someone pushing you you need to find someone who does because mm. she's like i'm fully supporting you not having a job you know having her health care and doing all this but you better get your ass moving and make some money so that that's a huge huge factor that just really pushed me over the edge but 
I mean, once I got a couple good couple first deals and I just felt it was easy how good those deals came in, I was able to put some of that money aside and it wasn't coming out of my savings account anymore. Mm. So really, I mean, it's kind of a hard answer to, question to answer. It's just once I got a couple deals, I just started feeling more comfortable. And once I found Amplify My Business and Launch Control, I just felt like I was actually having leads come in a lot faster than let's say when I had tried cold calling last year, where I just didn't see any results. Mm. So you hear those guys talk about like, what do they call it? Evergreen marketing on a lot of those podcasts. And that's what the Facebook ads are. They pop up overnight. They pop up during the day. And I just felt like I had consistent leads coming in before I could keep this going. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's a really good point you make about being comfortable spending money on marketing. Like if it's coming out of a profit, it's a lot less painful than coming out of your personal bank account where you just feel like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get this back. Or what I, what I sometimes see, I'm curious what you think about this is like, it's much easier to do it that way and feel comfortable with it. But it is also easier if you set a budget aside for like a quarter so that you have the money already pulled out of your stuff. And it's not like you're just seeing an expense every month that you didn't forecast for, or you didn't see coming. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I have my budget, stick to my budget. But even in the beginning when I was pulling out savings, I kind of realized that if I'm getting to the deadline of a flip, which is all I was doing was flips. Uh, and I have to spend an extra five grand for some repair that popped up just to get to the finish line to make that money. Why am I not spending that same five grand in marketing? And why am I not comfortable doing that wholesaling? But I was with flipping. Right. It's so funny how I, I do it too. We all do it. We categorize expenses differently in our head. And like, if we can't, I think, feel the direct income that's going to be associated with it it's way harder to do sometimes, you know, or like we don't see the return on it, but like if it's a flip or something like that, like, Oh yeah. Like, all right, just another 500 or, you know, whatever, like we just need to do it. It is what it is. But if it's like spending another 500 on marketing, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to get that back or you don't, you don't know specifically that you are, you should, but you don't know that for sure. Yeah, exactly. Cause with the flip you projected, all right, I've got this $20,000 payday coming. I can spend a little extra if I need to, but with wholesaling, you don't have that guarantee, but what I found that's helped, um, and you, you kind of helped me out with this too, you know, back over the summer was setting a quarterly goal. Mm. Once I started setting quarterly goals, um, so my goal for Q3 was I think 50,000. And I was like, all right, so I'm spending 3000 each month because I'm going to hit 50,000 for Q3. And I kind of had that goal in mind. It helped me spend a little more money. Mm. Totally. That's, you know, it's a really good point when you know it's a profit that you're pulling from as opposed to an expense. So Kevin, can you just dig into a little bit more of like the systems and kind of like how things started ramping up like operationally in your business? Like it sounds like at the beginning you were cold calling yourself maybe, and then you got your hands on some tools and got into like uh, Facebook advertising and, and a texting platform. Can you just talk about how that started ramping and how it started looking different day to day compared to the beginning? Yeah, so in the beginning, um, I was doing a lot of cold calling myself. I was doing a lot of the text blasting myself. Um, I cut out cold calling just because I didn't see the results and I don't like doing it. And plus, I'm not very good at training cold callers. So if you're not very good at training the position, it's really hard to bring someone on to do it. So I cut that out. Um, But I did eventually bring on a VA to do the text blasting for me. You know, it's launch launch control. I won't get into too much of the details of how that works, but you can send out 300 texts a day. 
So I was bringing on a VA to work pretty much three hours a day for me. Hour one, they'd send out 150. Hour two, they'd send out another 150. And then that last hour, they'd hang out and wait for text to come in and respond. So that was kind of the first step of cutting me out of that process, just to make sure it was done consistently five days a week and that it wasn't bogging me down from doing other activities. Mm-hmm. Now with the Facebook ads, I still call all those leads myself just because it's it's really only one or two leads coming in a day, if that. So I prefer, since those are super hot leads, that I'm the first one to touch them. Because mm-hmm. in reality, I'm not trying to build this like huge wholesaling operation. Uh, you know, you got the guys like Evan Manship who's got you know, some million dollar company. I don't really have a desire to do that. Because um, mm-hmm. wholesaling to me is just a way to go buy more rentals and kind of get to the passive lifestyle that you have. So that's that's all I'm doing for wholesaling. It's just a day-to-day job. I'll scale it a little bit. I'm actually considering bringing on a partner here in January just to take over a lot of the backside of the business, training VAs, making sure things get to closing, um, doing just some of the other admin stuff that I don't want to do. But right. when it comes to sales, I really enjoy the sales part and talking to sellers. So I do want to stay on that. You mentioned a really important part there that you had the self-awareness to look at what you like doing and what you're good at doing and try to remove the rest. Like the biggest reason that I see people that either they're in the mastermind or just the Facebook groups that they can't get started is because they are trying to continually do things every day that they hate doing. You know, like if, if this whole thing depended on me making 200 cold calls a day for five years, I wouldn't do it. Like I couldn't do it. It just, I'd rather be poor than have to do that. But for me, and I think you learned this is like, you can outsource things for pretty low dollars and you can get smarter with your marketing instead of having to do a lot of the grunt work, grunt work yourself. And it's like not even grunt work. The other thing you may, you may like have a comment on this or an opinion. You know, I realize people like sometimes doing stuff that I'm not good at doing and vice versa. And you know, it's, it's, it's a little like, like naive to think that just because you don't like doing something or you're not good at it, everyone else is the same way. But it sounds like you started putting people in place to remove you from the business and make it, you know, more passive and, you know, less of a, of a frustrating type of day to day than it was at the beginning. Can you just like talk through some of the systems and the people and kind of like how the, the mechanics work of it? Yeah. So my overall goal with wholesaling is to turn it into a half day job for me. I only, only work on it half a day and then I can go do my realer thing. I can go look at Airbnbs, multi whatever the rest of the day. So I've got a CRM, um, partner up with a guy. So we're switching everything over to uh, RE Simply. I'm still kind of learning that because one of my biggest problems is I'm not very process oriented. Um, I can prospect and do sales all day, but a lot of that's up in my head, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't good for scaling. So, mm-hmm. That's why I'm bringing on a potential partner who can help me kind of get everything on paper, uh, get some solid processes in place so that we can start turning more and more over to VAs. Um, but right now it's pretty much start my day at 9 a.m., logging into my Facebook ads platform, calling any hot leads there, calling my follow-ups. Um, and then the afternoon is when I hit up any launch control testing, texting leads and follow up with those. So then the middle of my day is left for you know, being a realtor and finding other projects that I got going on. Mm-hmm. I like how you have it just sequenced out. Um, I think most people, they just wonder like, what is the way to spend a day? What is a good use of the time? And like, you're touching your warm leads first, then you're doing your follow-ups and then everything else comes after that. But at least you've done the most important things to start your day. So 
can you just maybe talk through like the learning curve of, for you, Facebook ads and like any other digital advertising you've been doing to generate leads. And then the same thing with like launch control. Cause I think a lot of people here on a podcast, oh yeah, do Facebook ads, do PPC. And they're like, I don't know what that is. Like, I'm just going to go back to not doing my side hustle and I'm going to keep working a job. I don't like, cause that sounds too complicated. So like, right. <laughs> how did you overcome that? And like, what, what, you know, what does that actually mean that you're checking your ads and you're running ads? Yeah, so I, I'm not a Facebook ad genius whatsoever. Um, the reason I, I pretty much was following Jordan Isham and his footsteps with Amplify My Business is because they make it so easy for your Facebook ads. They set it all up for you. They run the ads. And all you got to do is log into your CRM every day and look at the form of a new of a uh, new seller filled out. And it's got their phone number, their address, Zillow link, Google link, all that good stuff. So I don't, I don't know how the ads are run. I mean, I've seen kind of what they look like, but all I know is I spend, I think I'm at like 75 bucks a day on ad spend. They take that money, they apply it to the ads, and then I just have leads pop up to my CRM every day. So it's pretty easy. I, I like to keep things easy because I don't want to have to learn some new skill when I'm already doing a million other things. Yep, totally. Like why, again, you're you're focusing on things that make you money and that you can do with your time, like sales and speaking with sellers as opposed to working on backend stuff that again, I think a lot of people are getting bogged down on. So um, can you, you said your, your marketing budget per day is 75 on Facebook. Do you know what your like average ballpark marketing budget is for a month and like how it's broken out? Um, like for everything overall? Yeah. yeah so I'm spending about 4,000 a month right now. And I think about two, probably about 2,200 of that goes toward the Facebook ads because there's like a $500 a month charge for the platform plus another 1800 bucks for the ad spend. Uh, and then the rest of that is going toward launch control. So I'm buying lists from PropStream, getting those skip traced, uploading them into launch control, paying for the launch control platform, and then paying for the VA for to make all those texts. Um, but that comes out around 4,000 a month or so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's where you scaled it to. Now, I guess going a little bit back to the beginning, if you were a beginner listening to this show, like, again, you, you may not, because it's you and what you've done. Like, again, I was so impressed when you told me what you were doing and where it's like scaled and grown into, man. Like I was just so, so happy for you, but a beginner might be hearing this again. And it's like, Whoa, all this stuff is way over my head. VAs, Facebook ads, PPC, texting, $4,000 a month marketing budget. Like I'm just trying to get started. So you know, I know it wasn't that long ago, but it might feel like a long time ago, but what would you do if you were starting over or talk to the beginner who is maybe listening to this and they've never done anything that we're talking about? And they're like, how do I start? What would my, my step-by-step -step blueprint be? Yeah, for sure. Cause this, this even surprised me. I've, I've grown so much faster than I would have expected. Man. I've been so mediocre in so many things I've done in my life, except for marrying my wife. It's probably the least mediocre thing I've done, but like it's, it's blown me away how fast this gone so if i was brand new i'd go back to january when i was rebuilding this now it's first start out with launch control texting because it's such an easy platform to use it doesn't take a lot of time you can only send out 300 a day so it's not like you can sit there and keep sending text messages out and if you're working a w2 you could send those out you know at 8 a.m in the morning and then come check your responses when you get home from work or vice versa send them out in the evening check them in the morning and check them at lunch it just it doesn't require you to actively respond to people unless you want to. 
would, that's definitely where I would start because I think it's only about 300 bucks a month plus the cost of some list to start out at launch control. And that's been a huge um, deal for, for me. For sure. And the virtual assistants, is that something that you think should happen at the beginning for someone or, you know, like, did you think you brought them on at the right time? What do you think about that sort of part of the business? Yeah, I think virtual assistants come when, when you're scaling. Um, I really think you got to learn the job first before you can go train someone else. I mean, I know some other people who will immediately hire virtual assistants, but for me, if I'm going to train someone, I want to know exactly what I'm doing so I can teach them correctly. And like with cold calling, I was so bad at cold calling. So when a, when a VA would come back to me and ask me like how to improve or what I do wrong, I'd just be like, I don't know. <laughs> I guess talk to them better, be nicer. But that's just not my strength. But when I, you know, become an expert on the texting platform and have like a flow chart of how to respond and hey, this person said F you, like, all right, delete them out. Or this person said maybe here's how we can gauge more interest and get them talking more. It's just a lot easier for me to pin that off on a VA once I've become really good at it. Mm-hmm, totally. I'm actually glad you just mentioned that. Can you, because I think a lot of people might confuse the two, can you define or talk about how you think the differences are or what the differences are between sales and cold calling? Because you said you're good at sales, but you're not good at cold calling. So what does that mean? The cold calling is just collecting data. That's it. Like you're hoping they answer, you're hoping they don't cuss you out. And you're just trying to tell them or get them to be like, yeah, I want to sell. Here's what's shitty about my house. Here's maybe the amount I want to sell for. And then you're passing it off to me as a salesperson where I'm actually trying to build rapport, learn about, you know, what's the true issue here? Like, did you just go through divorce? Tell me about it. Tell me how shitty your husband was and why you're selling your house. Or tell me about, you know, how your family's sick and you need the money. So the sales is, is building rapport, getting them to trust you to really figure out exactly what they need to sell it for so you can get a good deal out of it. Mm-hmm. Plus you're helping them too. So a lot of times it isn't. Because if I, I don't like to be a car salesman, that's the worst type of salesperson there is. So if I'm going to get a good deal, like the deal I'm closing this afternoon, I'm going to make $17,000 off. Now, if I felt like I was robbing some little old lady, I would not be able to sleep at night. But luckily I'm helping them from pre-foreclosure you know, they're not going to have a foreclosure on their record. They're going to finish off their divorce. This was kind of the last thing standing away from the attorneys clearing everything. The wife's paying off her credit card and they can both walk away happy and be done with it. So I don't feel bad that I made a good amount of money because I put in a lot of work over the past month playing a therapist for this couple who's going through a pretty nasty divorce. But. <laughs> totally. So again, like that's just, I think, a, a good differentiation for people that are sort of struck or struggling, struggling, thinking they are not good at sales. They might be good. You might be good at sales. You might just not be good at cold calling because that's one of the hardest jobs. It's one of the like least enjoyable jobs, but you could be good at sales. If you're just good at having conversations with people, qualifying them, understanding their motivations, working with them, building rapport, like that's what sales is. Cold calling to me is not sales. And I, I oh, had sure. to unlearn that from my first job. That's why like when I was in the insurance industry, I was hiring high schoolers to work part-time in the cold call. Like they're not salespeople. They're literally just dialing a number. Yeah. They're and dialing then, you know, and they hoping you get someone. Exactly. You're just turning it over to, to the person that can then take it. Maybe you caught them on a good day and it's just the perfect timing of that conversation. 
you're just kind of like a body in a seat. So anyway, I think that's where most people as they scale start to outsource parts of the business that aren't a good use of their time. Yeah. And let but, me say one more thing about that. Like I'm a natural introvert to my core. Like when I go to a conference, I was at BPCon. That was like the most social anxiety I've had trying to go into these huge groups and go meet new people. But if I'm talking one-on-one, I can do that all day long. Mm. Well, I love doing coffee dates with people, but you don't have to be this extrovert, extrovert. You don't have to be, you know, our friend Rob Bergeron who will go talk to a wall. You don't have to be that to be good at sales. You can kind of train yourself to have good conversations as long as you're asking the right questions. Yeah, Rob could talk to a wall. It's, yeah, it's That's not me, but I can still be good at sales. <laughs> totally. And I just think it's like, to that point, it's very different. And you're introverts can be good at sales, but cold calling is not sales. You know, like right, exactly. sales is, is, is a very different animal. And I think now that like you've done it long enough, you understand what you like doing, what you're good at doing and how you can help people um, that maybe, you know, you weren't necessarily understanding at the beginning because it wasn't, it doesn't get explained that way. You know, it's, it's right. not how people put it out there. Exactly. I completely agree. Yeah. So, okay. I guess just kind of like moving towards current now, um, you know, where do you see the business going? You mentioned you don't necessarily want, you know, a, a big company and, you know, like all the headaches that can come along with that, but, you know, like what does your team consist of now? And, you know, where do you see it going in the next couple of months or years? So going forward right now, it's just uh, myself and a VA and then starting in January, it'll be myself, a new partner, uh, and potentially we'll have two or three VAs working for us doing cold calling and texting. Um, and just trying to scale the wholesaling business from there. So really then my focus in 2022 will be is trying to convert a lot more of these wholesaling leads to creative solutions to where I can hold on to the property, whether I'm just doing a standard, you know, Burr method of holding on to a rental or finding some more sub to seller financing type deals, just so I can start building up some more passive income. Mm -hmm. so eventually I'll probably wholesale for, you know, next few years or so, but eventually wholesaling will probably be phased out of my business once I do have more passive income coming in through like Airbnbs and traditional long-term rentals. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, we didn't even, I don't think get into it. Where, where do you live and where do you conduct your business? Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, awesome market. Don't get any ideas. So there's already <laughs> enough of us here. Unless you're an out-of-state buyer, give me a shout. I'll help you buy a house. <laughs> but uh, Louisville has been awesome. Um, I've expanded into Lexington just because I know Lexington really well because that's where I went to school at UK and then started just recently started marketing up in Cincinnati as well just because I lived up there for a time and a family up there. So at this point, I like to stick in the markets that I know pretty well. So these are kind of the three I'm sticking with. Um, mm -hmm. We'll still we will be in the final. Okay. And the last two things that I had here that I just wanted to run by with you is you just recently got your license. This is probably the number one question I get anytime I even mention it uh, anywhere. I'll get messages for you know weeks asking, do you need your license to do real estate investing? Um, why did you get yours? So I'll answer that for you. You don't need it at all. Like, I didn't have it for the first two years. Um, I got mine for one, just another stream of income. Um, I like to have as many streams of income as possible. So that's just one more I can add on. I mean, that's... Since I got my license, I think I've done like seven or 8,000 realtor commissions. So why not? It's extra money. And then two, with wholesaling, you get so many retail leads, uh, especially with Facebook ads. It's probably like 50-50 between actually distressed sellers and just people wanting like an appraisal on their house. 
Mm. Um, so those people will call in. They'll say, you know, I want this amount for my house. I'll tell them that's retail. You know, why are you calling me? Why aren't you working with a realtor? And a couple of times they've been like, you're right. I probably should be working with a realtor. And then I can be like, hey, guess what? You're talking to one. <laughs> so let me, let's, let's meet up. You know, I'll go meet up with them and I'll show them like two options. I'll be like, here's my cash offer of my art properties company that's completely separate from me as a realtor. That's what you do have to differentiate yourself. If you're a realtor in wholesaling, you got to make sure you're not, that they know you're not working on behalf of a brokerage if you're Good doing a cash deal. Good tip. So you got to make that very clear because you can get in trouble doing that. Um, but I'll go meet with them. I'll show them, hey, here's what I can buy for cash. You know, it's obviously usually like 75% of LTV in that range, minus repairs. Or, hey, your house is in awesome shape. Why don't I list it for this amount, which is market price? Here's what you'll net after commissions and everything. You know, which option do you want to do? Mm-hmm. So I've had a handful of people be like, yeah, let's just go ahead and list it. You can get more. I'm like, all right, works with me. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty clean. Just explaining why you would have. An, are there any drawbacks of having it or any reason any reason not to get it? So again, I mean, if you're if you're being shady about wholesaling, you can get in trouble and you can get fired from your brokerage. So you do have to find a brokerage that's uh, a little more comfortable with wholesaling. So there's plenty of traditional brokerages out there that don't understand it or think it's illegal. So you, you got to ask that when you're finding a brokerage. Um, but really, I haven't found any downside to being a realtor. I, mean, I think it's been great so far. And if you're like someone like me who was super active on bigger pockets and the forums and everything, all I did was change me from being just the investor on the forums to now I'm a realtor on the forums. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting a ton of business through the forums of out of state folks. Um, they're Got reaching it. out. They see me post all the time. I've picked up you know, seven or eight clients here in the past month or two of people trying to buy on mobile. Wow. So you are you still active on bigger pockets? Because I, you know, I haven't used it that much lately. You know, I wasn't for a while, but the beginning of this year when I started kind of ramping up social media, got back on bigger pockets. Uh, and it's, you know, I don't, I'm not like posting like crazy good articles. It's more of just kind of scrolling through the top feed and you see something that's relevant to you you drop a comment drop some advice and that way people just see that you're super active on there and that you're potentially you know a knowledge expert for whatever city you're totally so yeah it definitely builds your brand there, yeah it definitely helps a couple minutes a day that's that's how i used to use it but yeah. i see now having your license in the area for out-of-state buyers that's a huge potential connection you know if they're looking and that's that's like where beginners start you know they start yeah. in bigger pockets it's a good place Exactly. And, and at this point, you know, a lot of people are, are reaching out to me and they're like wanting to try to buy a flip or a burr. And really on the realtor side, I can't even help them that much because anything that's on the market is overpriced. But me being a wholesaler, I've been able to attract a lot more clients because they know I'm direct to sell marketing as well. And I just helped one of my clients close um, a wholesale deal. It's going to be an awesome rental for them. But that's something that if you were working with a traditional realtor, you wouldn't solve. because. Mm-hmm. There's not much good out there on the MLS right now. Totally. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was your content, content creation and why you're doing it, how it's been going. Um, and for someone that's maybe listening to this and wondering, should they start doing social media for their business? Yeah. So I've mainly been sticking to TikTok and Instagram, just been trying to grow those two platforms. Um, I don't really see myself like making YouTube videos or, or getting into the podcast game as of yet. 
but I like Instagram and TikTok just because it's it's easy for me to put out like short little videos, short clips on Instagram. Uh, they're kind of fun too. I just feel like it's better to document what I'm doing. Um, I've been able to attract some new clients that way too, just so they can see that I'm actually legit and out there doing it. I'm not, you know, didn't start yesterday. Uh, and plus, eventually, when we start raising more money for multifamily projects, I want to have this social media following that I'll be able to reach out to and they can kind of see, you know, that we're real. Totally. It's one of the best ways to just let people know what you're doing so that when you may have an opportunity, it's not a surprise that, oh, Kevin does real estate or Kevin is a professional or Kevin knows what he's doing. Because, you know, people can't feel so comfortable investing with someone that they just think is just getting started, you know? Yeah. It's like a subtle way to throw it in everyone's face that this is what I'm doing without it being just like blatant, like I'm not trying to sell you some lotions or something like multiple media. It's just like, here's what I'm doing in kind of a fun way. And you can follow along. If you want. Totally. And you know what? I think a lot of people are interested. So uh, that's been the response I've gotten and you've definitely been consistent with it. So it's cool to see Kevin. Um, this is going to probably be the first of, I imagine multiple times you'll be on this show, but I just want to say thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, the hour course, man. flew by and uh, it just, it's cool to see people that one are a friend or been through one of the communities or just, you know, like good people, like getting results. And you're definitely one of those people, man. And you're just getting started. So it's really cool to see any, any uh, parting wisdom or, you know, final words before we get out of here. Uh, no, just other than make sure and get into a community, whether that is, you know, your cash flow community or another mastermind. I think that's been a big influence on me this year because I did, you know, I did Jonathan's cash flow mastermind this year. And then I moved on to another one with Jordan Isham where we were doing focusing on like wholesaling and Facebook ads. Um, so that's been huge. And I'll probably join, you know, a new mastermind to start the year. But it's always good to surround yourself with like-minded people and people that are kind of growing with you. Totally. So important. Every new year, I start thinking about this again. And it just always pops into my head that, you know, even now, like we were talking about Columbia before this, I'm in this house with three other entrepreneurs. Every day we're talking about new ideas. Someone has an idea for something. Someone can point out something that they see someone else doing that could be improved. And it's just like, you can't get those things when you're by yourself and you're not brainstorming, you're bouncing ideas with other people. Right. That's, that's, that's so true, man. Even if there's people you don't even know that well. I don't know how well you know the other creators you're in the house with, but like you probably know your high school friends probably don't understand what you're doing. And it's really hard to sit down and talk with them about growth. If they're sitting in a W2 job. So you got to go find the other entrepreneurs, the other people trying to grow. Don't get left in dust. Spot on. That's a perfect note to, uh, to sign off on. Kevin, man, thank you again for coming on. I guess last, last question. What's the best way for people to get in contact or check you out on social media or check out your companies? Yeah, hit me up on uh, Instagram or TikTok. It's Kevin Hart underscore REI on both platforms. I respond to DMs. I love to chat with anybody. I've had a ton of people help me along the way. So any newbies out there, happy to answer any questions I can. I can't believe I went this entire episode and I didn't even think about the Kevin Hart comedian because <laughs> I literally don't even think about him anymore. When I think about who's like, the, the Kevin Hart that like is relevant. It's you. So for anyone listening though, you know, you're the Kevin yeah, Hart that they I'll actually need to know. work. I got to take my name back. <laughs> yeah. And anyone not watching on YouTube, I'm a little taller and a lot, a lot paler. So <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you the man. Thank you for coming on, bro. Yeah, of course, man. This is fun. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye.
Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com.